you're listening to a life-changing podcast that does a deep dive into what's behind the silence, the truth no one wants to talk about, featuring two thought-provoking professional coaches who specialize in linguistic patterns of thought, feelings, and behavior. As NLP practitioners, certified and life-changing, the dynamic duel, Stacey Cutright and Stephanie Demmel. Welcome back, friends, to What's Behind the Silence, the truth no one wants to talk about. Today, I have my fabulous co-host, Stephanie, once again. So we've just spent some time, you know, solving the world before doing this. So I think we're both charged up and ready to go. So how how has your morning been so far? Well, it's been awesome. I've been spending it with you. And yeah, it does charge me up. I, I swear you could probably... You would get my mornings going every morning in the right direction, our conversations. So it's fun to, to wake up early and get on this thing and just yap away. And I love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah. You know, I, you and I were talking and um, to discuss what topics we're going to do, et cetera. And um, I had somebody reach out to me that was in Walmart and overheard these two women talking and their children were eight and 10 and the children, they were the parents, the two mothers were, you know, sad because the children were talking about being suicidal. So my girlfriend had called me and she's, you know, she's trying to find some understanding and she said, Stacy, how is it that it, eight and a 10 year old know what suicide is like when you and I were kids because I had gone to school with this this gal you and I are kids like I didn't know what suicide was and so I just thought that this would be a good topic of you know we're in a mental health crisis and Steph and I talk about this all the time and I, I'm just shocked on the heads that are still in the sand and don't recognize what's happening. Or we wonder and question, why is there another school shooting? Why is there another this? Why is there another that? Oh my gosh, another death due to overdose, this, that, and the other. It's not going to get better unless we understand why is happening and why it's transpired and so you know I just wanted to give kind of my perspective and you know um, my girlfriend said to me after we got done of me sharing my perspective she goes you know what Stacey that makes a hundred percent sense so that was just my 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 thought of reasoning to share you know because you and I both talk you know you work with teens, I work with adults. And one of the issues, whether across the board, whether it's teens or adults, they have no coping skills. They have no self-worth. They don't know who they are. They're insecure. They're looking for their value in external things. People pleasing this, that, and the other. Is that what you're finding as well? It is. And, you know, they don't understand why the behavior is happening, like why they do what they do, why they think what they do. They don't they don't know how to stop that circle of thoughts or that 
circle of behavior that just continues to go on and on and on. They don't understand, you know, you know what's causing them to do that or how to avoid getting them in those situations. But yeah, I think you know when I'm talking to kids, it's it's very simple. Kids, most of the kids that I work with, and I'm talking ninety percent of them, tell me one, they don't feel like they have value. Two. They don't feel like they're being heard because they fear, which pushes them into a fear of expressing themselves because they feel like um, the reaction. Our society is so reactionary now. They're afraid of the reaction, whether it's at school or home or wherever. They're afraid now to express themselves. So now they just keep all that stuff inside. And they find that that just triggers all that anxiety and that worry. and They don't know how to get out of it. And it, it's just, it's super sad because they're just stuck in this cycle in their head and they just don't feel like they have control over what's going on in their life. And, you know, it's no different with the adults. And I don't know, call it coping skills, whatever it is. I think understanding how your mind works and understanding why you do what you do is so important in this journey, but also the influences. And that, I think that's what we're going to talk about today is, you know, what's impacting all of this mental health issue. It, it, isn't that what we're going to talk about today? Absolutely. You know, and I, and I just, you know, again, this is just my perspective. I'm not saying it's right. Um, this is just what makes sense to me of why we are where we are. And you and I have both talked about this. Our children don't act the way that they do because they came out the womb that way. And so it's learned behavior from somewhere. And oftentimes it's going to be our, the, their biggest influencers, whoever been, you know, is around them the most. And unfortunately, what, you know, sometimes it might be grandparents are taking care of them or what have you. So when a parent comes to you, you and I've talked about this and they're like, why is my kid doing this? They need to stop this. It's like, okay, what is your behavior? Mm-hmm. And, you know, many parents, I'm sure, get really upset because, you know, in, in speaking with the parents that I work with, you know, I work with adults. Let me tell you, that eye-opening reality, a lot of times it brings them to tears. And the next thing they say to me, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know any different. And so, you know, I was thinking back, you know, to to like my grandparents. And my grandparents were both in World War II. And, you know, there were effects, you know, they were both grew up in dysfunctional families. You know, my grandmother was one of 11. You know, um, there my grandfather, you know, he was the only boy, so he was kind of played favorites. And he, and my grandma was mm, kind of a dictator, if you will. And so my my grandfather was always people pleasing her, mm-hmm. wanting to make my grandmother happy. Okay, so you know the dynamics in in the sour relation or family wasn't great either. And so then you have effects of coming out of war. 
And my grandmother being raised with 11 children, you know, they were in, they lived in Illinois. They were on a farm family Amish community. My, my grandmother was not Amish though. And so to take care of the kids, to be able to provide food at around 11 years old, they farmed my, my grandmother out to a doctor to be a nanny for their children. And, you know, this is horse and buggy days. And my grandmother had brought home and I didn't find this out until, until um, my grandfather was on his deathbed. And I asked why he was always so protective over my grandmother. And he said, I'm gonna tell you why, because no one protected her. And when your grandmother wrote home to tell her parents that, that the doctor was sexually abusing her and she needed to come home, her parents said, I'm sorry, we need the money to feed the kids. Wow. So, you know, let's fast forward. So, you know, both of them are taking on their own thing, especially my, my grandmother having a lot of trauma. That's a lot. And, you know, she just went into the service just, just to get away. You know, she, they, you know, she was considered a whack, uh, you know, a, a woman of war. And, and, and that's how they met. They met in Paris and they got married. Mm-hmm. And then, so then they, they get married and they have kids and, you know, you back in the day, you know, their kids were seen, but not to be heard. You know, there, there was more physical punishments, um, you know, that type of thing. And so both of them, my grandparents brought in their parentings or what, how they were parented. Mm-hmm. Well, my grandmother was parented very dysfunctionally. And so now my mom becomes a parent. Well, of course she's going to pick up those things because she, my, my grandmother and grandfather weren't in any type of help. And, you know, back in that day, you didn't talk about mental health. You didn't talk about struggles because the fear of you going into the same asylum and never coming out was, was reality. And so, you know, we don't want the neighbors to know anything. We don't, you know, everything's quiet, quiet. And, and then you have in with our parents' generation, a lot of times moms were starting to go to work where then what I see is with mom starting to go to work, mom started to feel guilty. Yeah. And those, those parents that were seen but not heard are now saying, you know, some of them are still being that way. Or, you know, if they were paddled or whatever, they can go the other way and say, my kids are going to have a voice. They're going to be able to talk. 
I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to, I'm going to do the complete opposite. However, from my perspective, what that has led to is yes, we have given our children a misuse of power that they aren't ready for. And so they've overvoiced over the parents. And the parents enable and they buy because they don't know how to provide the love and connection. Because they're busy at work and they're trying to, you know, make money. And, you know, we're, we're so consumed on really status or things that we have or the perceptions of what are other people going to think. And we've really lost. I mean, we've lost you know, sense. And so to me, you know, in all of this, you know, what's happening is, you know, yeah, mental illness or mental health awareness is coming around and getting better. However, the stigma is still there. And, you know, there is no consequences. You know, the school, when I went to school in elementary, they had a paddle. Mr. Clay had a paddle in his, mm-hmm. his thing. I mean, a teacher anymore can't even tell a kid, you know, call a parent because, you know, that shooting that happened here, hey, come pick up your kid. You know, they're writing death threats on the thing. And then the parents said, no, we're not taking them home. And he stays and ends up shooting up the school. And, you know, so it's that I just look at, you know, sometimes we're buying our children's love. And with, you know, with buying that, there's abandonment. You know, we need that nurturing. We need that compassion from a parent. Instead of letting, I mean, how many times do you go into a store and you see a little kid, maybe two years old with a tablet or his parents phone watching something on the, on the thing. I see it all the time. Mm -hmm. Here, keep busy. The internet is, is a babysitter. Yeah. And so, you know, in all of this, where I see like addiction, depression, our suicide rates, all of these items coming up is because we're completely lost because nobody has dealt with the issues that are happening from generation to generation to generation. And so then with the COVID scare and lockdown, we really lost it all because families, they didn't know how to engage, but they were stuck together. Why divorce go up so much? As long as they could be out of the house and at work or whatever, they could stay married. They could handle one another. Now we're stuck in the house and holy crap, we can't, we can't even function. And so that's just my perspective. So I, I'm encouraged or, you know, I'm, I'm anxious to hear what yours is. Yeah, I think that's, I, I, I feel that that has a lot to do with what's happened with our kids today. And, 
you know, when I parent, when I coach kids, I really spend a lot of time with the parents because, again, you know, there's no handbook when you're raising kids. You learn from those before you. And so when I'm coaching parents, like, it's not to point out, oh, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong. It's not about that. It's about you learn behaviors, and you're just passing those behaviors to the next generation. I'll give you an example. So, you know, my mother, this woman was phenomenal. I didn't really know how phenomenal she was until I got older. Phenomenal lady. Although, she didn't know how to love her kids, meaning she didn't know how to show affection. And you know what? I remember her mom very clearly. My grandma, she was very abrasive. She took care of the house. She raised seven kids. They had a great upbringing. My grandpa had broke his back on the railroad. And you know what? They survived. They did what they needed to do. Times were tough back then. However, she struggled showing emotion to her kids. If it wasn't emotion, it was always getting onto them. Or it wasn't good enough. Or do it this way. And so she, I love, my uncles always teased her. But my mom gained that behavior from my grandma that it was hard for her to show affection. And so growing up, you know, she was always making sure the household was in order. She was always making sure there was meals prepared. And then she had to go to work and work, work a full-time job. And then she had to make sure the laundry was done and the cleaning was done and yada, 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 yada. Whereas when I think back, my dad was the one always playing with. My dad was the one playing army men in the, in, in the room, and we were putting model cars together and model airplanes together. We were outside playing basketball. We were outside in the yard playing catch. And I don't remember my mom at all in any of those memories, right? So, and she had a really hard time showing affection. So as I, you know, as she's raising us, we have a hard, we are having a hard time showing affection. So it was like just a learned behavior that she learned that she passed on, you know, and that was one of her biggest regrets as a parent because then she got grandchildren and she was like, I don't like this behavior. But as an adult, she could decide whether she liked that behavior or not. And she had a redo with her grandchildren and she showed them all kinds of hugs and kisses and all that stuff. But that was so hard. Even to the day she died, it was so hard for her to hug her own kids. And so, you know, I think we learn these behaviors. We don't even know we're learning them. And we're passing them down to the next generation. And if we aren't dealing with our own stuff, we wear that on other people. I always talk about wearing moods. You know, I think that's, you know, when when you haven't received the the care that you need to have a sound mental health, you're going to wear that somewhere, and you're going to wear it on someone. Not, not intentionally. That's just how we operate as humans. And so because if you cup tough, uh, stuff and cup, you know, what's going on, you're going to take it out somewhere in your life. And unfortunately, the people that are close to us sometimes are the ones that are receiving those behaviors. And how do we learn? We learn by behaviors. It's... You know, we see it, we think it's okay, and so we do it. No different like if a mom and a dad are the way they solve problems is screaming and yelling. Well, then the mom is always wondering why their teenage boy is treating mom like trash. 
Well, because you're showing that it's okay to scream and yell in the household. And that's okay. If dad and mom scream and yell, then that behavior must be okay. But then if your kid becomes unruly and they don't know how to communicate and it's always screaming, yelling, name calling, and being destructive, well, then again, that's a behavior they learn, you know, and it's really changing the, it's bringing awareness to those negative behaviors that we've acquired over the years. And it's about what do we do with all that? And I think that though that, and again, we only know what we know. And if you were raised a way and knowing like your grandma, that was just the life she knew. And if she never met anybody to tell her differently, that's the way she thinks the world works. And so she passes that along. Again, we don't, we just know what we know. And until we learn something different. So I think it's important that we understand that a lot of it is we're self-inflicting a lot of these wounds because we're not learning to communicate. We're not learning to listen. We're not learning to agree to disagree. We're not learning that it's okay that we're different individuals. It's okay that we got things to work on. It's okay that, you know, we're not perfect. And I think if we would all give ourselves a little bit of grace and patience to work on some of these things, I think we could have a, a totally different impact and be present for people because I think what gets in the way why people aren't present is because they're in their own minds and they're in their own feelings. And when you're in your own mind, your own feelings, it's really hard to be present for somebody else. I don't know. What do you think? I agree with that. I agree with that. And, you know, a lot of times what I'm finding, and hey, it was no different for myself. I couldn't sit still in my feelings. So we distract, you know, we, you know, we find different things, you know, whether it's emotional eating, whether it's, you know, binge eating, whether it's, you know, gambling, shopping, drinking, whatever. We pick up these sources as our methods to self-soothe. Mm as their methods to cope, as the methods to give us our some enjoyment or our happy for the moment. Because we don't know how to love ourselves and make ourselves happy. We're looking for something else to do it. And, you know, that's where we're going to stay lost. If we're not teaching, it's got to come, uh, it, actually, it's, teaching the whole public <laughs> to be honest because if we don't start even teach you know we say oh if we teach our young well no because our young is still being influenced by the older right okay so it's not just let's teach the young because you know what's happening the young is getting worse because the the older are getting worse and so, you know, I was just looking up some statistics, you know, because she was, you know, wondering, I, I just can't believe that. And I had said to her, you know, I'm going to be very honest. You know, I remember being, I think it was six, seven years old and wanting to run away from home, wanting to escape. That's when I started wanting to escape. 15 was the first time I wanted to commit suicide unalive myself you know and with with an event that my son went through second grade was the first time we had him at u of m pediatrics no re no 
I mean, I didn't even know a second grader knew what that was. I didn't even know they would know how to do it. I was scared crapless. However, you know, I'm like, why is this happening? You know, I, I don't get this. Well, there was a very traumatic ha event happening. He wanted to escape from. He didn't know how to get out of. And so when I when I was doing some some research, I thought that this was, you know, people are poo pooing the mental health crisis we're in, and it's driving me nuts. And the statistics statistics are from age eighteen to twenty five, the reporting is up eighty one percent. It says from year two hundred eight to two nineteen, and in that time those individuals, um, the percentage of people went up to 15.2% of people that said that they were experiencing at least one major depressive episode in that past year. And then roughly the same period, suicide rates from age 10 10 hmm. to 24 years old increased 47%. Crazy. And rates of depression, it says, were the highest among adolescents, young adults, more broadly through, and this was as of what they had pulled at, of 2019 that one in five are classified in having a, having a mental illness, serious mental illness. You know, the highest rates of mental illness are between the ages of 18 and diagnosis and 25 and in women. And the last one that really got my attention is that almost those that are 18 years old or older with a serious mental illness in 2020 reported that at least at least half of them were not receiving any type of treatment. Wow. And this, you know, and it was actually higher than half between the ages of 18 and 25 in women. So it was preventing them to be happy. It was, you know, preventing them to feel healthy. And so if you think about that, when we're supposed to be nurturing as, as mothers, How can we do that when we have half, half of them with diagnosed serious mental illness? Yeah. I mean, I about fell off my chair when I was researching this. Yeah. And the effects are that we wear that, right? If we don't get help, we wear it. We wear it on our behaviors we wear it on our moods we wear it on our words we wear it on, on our actions like if we don't get help for that we it goes somewhere 
And if you don't know how to channel where it's going, it's going to show up in how we parent, how we build relationships with people, how we um, how we have success in the workplace, how we solve problems, how we handle our you know shifts in energy. It it shows up everywhere, and you know I don't know about you, but more and more people are getting hurt in society by crimes because people will say something to somebody or they'll bump into them and they'll just lose their mind. Yep, the rage. The rage, it goes like zero to 60 rage. Like there was a guy, um, it was a, a military individual come home and him and his wife were out for dinner and they were dancing and it was their anniversary and he bumped into somebody and the guy shot him after they walked out of the restaurant because he bumped into him. And it's like, like this is the temperament that's happening because of our mental health crisis. It's like, again, it goes back to the fear of reaction, which is what this fear of society has created. And, you know, if, if, you, if you're not equipped to handle what's going on in your life and all of these emotions, again, it comes out somewhere. You know, I, you know, I have a, a second cousin who shot his own brother uh, this past year because he didn't know what to do with all that energy and all that negative and the good family, super good family. And they were good kids, but he had a mental health problem. And nobody, I guess, realized that. And I'm sure the anger issues were there at some point because you just don't go zero to 60 like that in one day. But, you know, if you're not equipped to handle what you're feeling inside and all those emotions, it's going to come out somewhere. And if you put alcohol and drugs in it, it's usually not going to end up so well. So no. I'm seeing when, when I'm coaching kids, and I really tell the parents and the kids, there's nothing wrong with you. You just don't have the skills you need to handle what's in your life. And as a society, we need to take our temperature down. It is way, it is boiling. Our temperature as a society is boiling. I see it's boiling by all the hate that I see through all the behaviors that you see on TV or social media. And our behaviors are creating this boiling point. And if we don't bring our behaviors down to a temperature that's not offensive, that is not reactionary, that is just trying to move to more of an understanding of what's going on with the other individuals that we're associating with. If we don't bring that temperature down, this mental health crisis is going to explode in our faces like it's starting to do right now. Yep. And here's the thing. What do you do with that? Okay. What do you do with that? Because you hear over and over, People that are saying, I need help and can't get it. Providers booked from here to China. Yeah. On a waiting list, on a waiting list, on a waiting list. Well, I think there's all kinds of help out there. It doesn't have to be professional. But it, professional help. Well, and, you know, and that's why you're seeing more individuals starting to go to professional life coaches. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and both you and I, how many of our clients have, have sought therapy with no type of um, improvement? Yeah, because therapy is a little bit different, right? Like, so therapy it's is just trying to get you to, yeah, it's trying to get you to understand why you feel like you feel. And there's, that's great. I think it's important to understand why you feel like you feel, why you do what you do. I think it's so important to understand. However, if you don't have a pathway forward, that's the problem. And that's where coaching comes in. We don't have to know exactly the details of the past to know that you're not happy and that life's not working well for you. So what do you want? What do you want life to look like? And what is getting in your way? And you know what? As a coach, I'm going to help you solve that. And we're going to build out ways to overcome all those things that are getting in your way. And a lot of times I find we're just getting in our own ways. Or we've got somebody in our life that's really getting in our way. And so that's where coaching is so different. Is If you don't like your life, well, a coach can help you move forward to get what you do want in your life. And I think that's the difference. And I think it's more focused, you know, from my perspective, between therapy and coaching. Coaching is more trying to focus on the individual. In therapy, you're talking about all the things that have happened around you. Ah, yeah. And a so lot true. of times, a lot of times then we're not able to look at what is it that is in our behavior that might be creating some of the circumstances that we're in there needing to discuss. Ah, yeah, so true. And, you know, I, I, hey, I, I, I call the biggest blessing I ever received was going to the ranch and, and getting on my own self-discovery recovery journey. Because I will tell you the way I communicate, how I how I react, um, putting limits to my thresholds, you know, or you can also call them boundaries, and taking care of my needs. My relationships are getting better. Not only are my relationships getting better. Some of the relationships I, I was in, I realized, holy crap, we're just not a good fit. This is just not a healthy dynamic. So unfortunately, there's some of some of those relationships that needed to, to terminate. Mm -hmm. However, what that did with those terminations is it opened doors to extremely valuable relationships that fuel me and I fuel them. And, you know, so if any of this resonates, you know, feel free to reach out to Step Rye. You know, if you, you know, remember 911, your nearest emergency, the suicide helpline, you know, let me tell you, as someone that was an attempted suicide survivor or, or attempted suicide or unlived myself, that's not the answer. 
for a temporary problem. So making a permanent choice to and making a solution to something that's temporary because we don't want to feel the pain. So in those instances, no, we don't want to feel the pain. However, we will have people around us that love us. And for life, they are going to feel pain. Mm -hmm. So it's So it's what? It's time for us to start working on ourselves. Let's come together as a community to have unity and support one another instead of quit judging everybody. Coming to understanding. Somebody's acting like an asshole. Hey, something going on? Come in with some curiosity and compassion. Instead of, you know, flipping over the bird, oh, you're a jerk, da da da. Where is that getting anywhere? So that that's kind of my my two cents today or or 40 minute cents. <laughs> well, I think the last thing I'll leave everybody with is um you know look, life is life and we all have our challenges and there's nothing wrong with us other than we don't have the skills we need to get past what's going on in our life. And you said it just a second ago and I was going to say this when we stop reacting to people and we stop judging people if we instead try to understand what's causing the behavior in the first place that curiosity that understanding when we become less reactionary that somebody's not doing something the way we want them to do it or say the things that they want you know when we become less reactionary and turn in that curiosity as to uh, what's making us feel that way or what's making them feel that way or what's making them behave that way, then we're trying to gain an understanding and we put all that judgment and personal feelings aside. And, you know, it doesn't matter if it's your kid, your sister, your brother, your mom or dad. Again, it's about understanding why the behaviors are occurring in the first place. And if you can get a lot more curious about that and put down your own stuff then you can really begin to understand people and it makes you be more present and you're listening instead of trying to solve so you know we, we all have a past all every single one of us, of us has a past and every single one of us has something in our past that was a challenge many of us have multiple challenges it's really learning to learn from that past and figure out why am I doing what I'm doing? What is, what, where did I get this behavior? Why am I doing it? What behavior do I want instead? And then building out a plan to get there. And it takes a lot of work, mental work, mental exercises, I call them, but it's doable. And everyone can change because that's a choice to change. Might be harder for some, but there is a choice to change. So, you know, hopefully today it maybe gave you a little bit of understanding of why we're in this mental health crisis. And I think we all have our own theories of that. However, I know it's learned behaviors because that's what we do as humans. We learn behaviors and we don't pay attention to the words so much of what people say. We pay attention to 
their body language, and their tone. So. You know, I wanted to just add one more food for thought. You know, when you were talking about changes, you know, many people are in pain. And let me tell you, there's pain in staying the same and there's pain in change. And we need to choose which pain we want. However, the pain and and the work and emotional work and reframing and and you know changing our behaviors is exhausting and can be painful. However, we know what we're gonna get if we stay stay where we are. And it's just gonna be more more pain, more misery. But there's blessings with the pain of going through change. There is. And so, you know, if you are sick and tired of being sick and tired, maybe it's time to say, what pain do I want? Because I'll tell you, like I've always shared, my greatest triumphs and catapulting me for, forward were through my biggest pain of awareness. And I'm grateful for them. During the time, I mean, I will tell you, I, I, I wasn't. I was like, oh my God, this is horrible. However, today, that's what's kept me going. I'm like, no, I don't want to go back there. I don't want to be that. I want to have a different legacy to live or leave behind. You know, I can't change my behavior of what happened or those situations that maybe my behavior was. However, I can change it for the upcoming generations that I may be around. So friends, you know, today go out, smile, be kind, do something compassionate for yourself and maybe go out and serve somebody else too. Yeah, and remember, you know, we all have a past and that past is a library of lessons. And if you're focused on how the past made you feel and how that past has impacted you as a person and you're um, really caught up in those emotions, try to tap into the library of learning from that past. What did you learn about yourself through those things? And what did you learn about others? And instead of looking at the guilt or the shame from your past, look at the library of lessons and see how it can help you in your future outcomes. And don't forget to do better, be better, and treat people better. See you next time. Goodbye.